Welcome in to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, which, by the way, both of them had pretty good Saturday nights. I was going to say, that was an amazing evening. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. Like, not good. It was great. The only thing that ruined it is, well, you know, the Louisiana education. And we can get to that later. We'll, we'll get to that later. First, we're going to get to the, the, the good, and it was very, very good. Um, the Houston Astros, once again, taking down the Philadelphia Phillies 4-1 to one to win their second World Series in franchise history. And it was the second in six years, the first one coming in 2017. They won the series four games to two. There were some big moments throughout the entire series. We, we, we've talked about, you know, the home run from Alex Bregman in game two. And we talked about the five-run fifth inning in game four. And, you know, you also can't forget the, the Chaz McCormick catch to seal the deal in game five. However, James, in my opinion at least, there was none bigger than Jordan Alvarez's three-run home run Saturday night. It didn't quite put the series on ice, but it was damn close. It was. It was damn close. And uh, we have the radio call of that home run, courtesy of the Astros Radio Network, with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. Alvarado's 2-1. And Alvarez belts it deep to center and sends back Fearley. Still going back at the wall. See you later. See you later. A three-run home run for Jordan Alvarez. And the Astros go up three to one. What a shot. Bombs away for Jordan once again. And it's madness. A 450-foot home run to straightaway center field. He hit that over the batter's eye. Incredible. That was a magical, magical hit. 450 feet over center field. To because, dead center. Because if you've seen the juice box, you know in the middle you've got a huge patch of grass that's a huge wall with, with the Astros logo. Yeah, the big batter's eye. Like that, that thing is... Absolutely. 420 feet. Yeah. And it went, it was high enough Over to that. get into the stands. Yep. That was and an incredible see, shot. It's still so crazy to look at center field now with that big batter's eye. Mm -hmm. Because I remember the days where that wasn't there. I remember I the days say, when did where that you had the hill, the yes. little hill in center field. Yes, I do remember that. And balls would get stuck up there all the time. Um, But no, they put that batter's eye up. That was like 16? 16 maybe? Because I, I yeah. was going to say, whenever I went as a kid with my dad for like father-son trips with other father-sons and we would go, I do remember that that kind of slightly elevated patch yeah. of grass right there. And I remember it and being there, there as a kid. there were flagpoles in center field. Yeah, I, I do remember the flagpoles, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it's still a little weird seeing seeing the new setup. But nonetheless, I mean, just the 450, you know how perfectly you have to strike a baseball for it to go to dead center field? Like, it didn't straight you know, to the right. You know how big of a bat you left. have to, to have to hit it that far as well? You know who you have to be to hit it that well? 
your daddy. I was going to say, that, that's who you have Air to be. Air Oh, my God. What an animal. The dude is absolutely fantastic. Once again, the Astros would go on to win that game 4-1. to one. And here is Robert Ford and Steve Sparks on the final out of the World Series. From the first base side of the rubber, he was on the mound when the Astros clinched the ALCS. But that sweep against the Yankees. Mancini playing behind the runner at first. He goes, and the pitch is lifted to right by Cassianos. Long run for Tucker, over toward the line, and foul territory. Makes the catch, and the Houston Astros do it again. 2022 World Series champions. So once again, the Houston Astros, World Series champions for the second time in six years. James, I, I got to ask you, you know, the, the first one is obviously, you know, it, it's super special because you, 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 it's joined, your first. you joined that fraternity of, of franchises that have won one. Mm -hmm. However, it, is it more special to win the second? To me it is because the fact that you have all the controversy surrounding the first one, the fact that you can get a second one, and this time it's a no, no doubter. You absolutely make sure that you don't have anybody kind of trying to tarnish it by saying that you quote unquote cheated. Now that this one, they can't say anything about it. That one just feels more special because it was an extra in your face moment where you can't take this one away. You can't take it for granted at all because not only were they dominant in the regular season, they were dominant throughout the postseason. Yeah, you, no, no doubt. You sweep the Yankees. You absolutely knock out the Mariners in the first round. You have you go down two to one to where it does make it a little interesting. You you do have a little bit of how would you say? Uh, not controversy, but kind of like. I mean, a little a bit of a little bit of doubt. Little little bit of doubt, but man, you're able to still come back and win the last three to secure it for them. Yeah, because, I mean, in that moment, you know, you, you lose game three in Philly and the way you lost it, I mean, just getting dominated on. Five home runs. No team had ever hit five home runs in a World Series game ever. But then also the, the way you lost game one. That was another one. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're up 5 nothing, and then, you know, you slowly let them back in, and then they, they got one great pitch in the 10th that they, that they took for a ride. But, yeah, you know, after game three, and, again, the, the way the Phillies beat you in game three, you kind of sat there for a second and said, oh, crap. Are you, you know, really about to lose? We, we might be in trouble here because the Phillies had all the momentum, all of it. Their crowd was ruthless in that game three. They took all the momentum in the series. Like, you had your back against the wall. And – you got the performance of a lifetime in game four when you desperately needed it. You desperately needed Christian Javier to come in and give you a no-hitter. And he did it. He Again. He stepped up. For the second time this season, he was a part of a combined no-hitter. Um, so just absolutely massive uh, game, stretch of games there for the Houston Astros. Dusty Baker finally gets a World Series ring. No, I read a statistic. The game Saturday night was nearly 30 years to the day 
or, or 30 years, the 30-year anniversary mm-hmm. of him managing his first game. Yeah, because it had been over 10,000 days since he had started. And then – I remember they were talking about that during the postgame. It had been, it had been 47 years mm-hmm. that he'd been a part of professional baseball. Yeah. Because he played for so many years as well. Mm-hmm. And never – Yeah, because he, cause he started in the league when he was 19. Right. And he never got a World Series. That's crazy. So for him to do it finally in a year where, you know, his return to Houston is not guaranteed. His contract's, his contract's due. It is due. And I do remember he had talked about it where if they would have won last year or whenever he first got there. He may have retired. He would have he probably just retired then and there. Yep. So the fact that he is 73. Yep. The fact that he finally got that monkey off his back. I'm wondering if he comes back or if you have to go in an, in another direction. And then which which also getting to that with Dusty also potentially leaving, you also have to look at other free agents when it comes to players and players that are getting older. Cuz you got JV. Yeah. You got Yuli who's 38. JV's 39. Yuli's going to be 39 by the time the season starts. Exactly. By opening day. So even though you got some youth like Jeremy Peña, you still got a lot of youth in the pitchers. You still, got a, you still got a relatively young... Kyle Tucker. You still got a relatively young core, but y- you still have some people. Yeah, for sure. That you may have to replace sooner rather than later. Now, I know that they could go through the pipeline. They develop in in the minors yeah. and, and potentially get another Jeremy Pena. But I'm wondering, who is it going to be that would potentially step up? You see, here's the interesting thing. If one thing, of them does leave. Here's the interesting thing that a lot of people aren't touching on. You know who else's contract is due this offseason? James Click. Yes. The Astros general manager. Yep. His contract expired at the end of this season, too. So, Jim Crane has got a lot of... He's got a lot to do over the offseason, yeah. Um, but he did say Saturday night, they asked him, they said, you know, with everything, that, with all the decisions to be made, who's your first phone call going to be? You know what he said? His first phone call is going to be to Justin Verlander. Mm-mm. His first phone call was going to be to JV. It's understandable. Because, look, here's the thing. I understand JV's 39 years old. And, and he didn't look the greatest during. Well, JV's always struggled in the I know, season, but, his but career. it's still the fact that it still happened. But at the same time. He definitely got that fountain of youth this year, but it's like once, once you got to. Well, right. Series. But you see, here's the you, question. You saw the step back that he usually has. Here's the question. You you, you saw the fountain of youth. Yes, he's going to win the Cy Young. You know, all of probably the best year of his entire career. However, can that continue? Is the question because if you re-sign him, and he has a down year, then what? You know, so that's a decision that the Astros are going to have to make. If I'm the Astros. I maybe see if he's interested in doing another one-year deal. Maybe a two. M- maybe a two with an but, opt-out. But we're not looking for a three, four-year. No. Because by that point here, 42, 43. No. I don't, I don't the, care. The latter care half of that contract would, would be pretty tough. I don't care who you are. I'm not paying you multi-millions of dollars past the age of 41 as a pitcher. I'm yeah. just not. Without being on a one-year basis. Yeah. I don't I don't care who you are. Um, That's just... That's just not logical for, from, a, from a business standpoint. Now, uh, now, if you are watching on the simulcast and you are wondering where we're at, 
We're Twin Peaks getting ready for the Saints game on Monday night. Twin Peaks on Johnston, baby. It's happy hour right now. Currently, the beer degrees is 28.3. Love that number. That is, that is a beautiful <laughs> that, number. That is a beautiful number. I love that. So, I, I'm sure you know this. The Saints win tonight. They're in first place in the division. Yes, they're tied for first. But would have the tiebreaker. Yes, because – wait. Yes, from what from what I have seen on social media, if they win tonight, they are in the lead because they'd be four and five. Bucks are four and five. Are the Bucks four and five? Oh yeah, yeah they, they won yesterday. They won yesterday. They won yesterday. Okay, so maybe they won't be because since the Bucks won in okay. week two, they're ahead. Yeah, Tom Tom Brady had to had to ruin that for us. And uh, that that guy always the, ruins the final everything. that final drive really pissed me off. I don't know about you. I don't know if you'd seen that. I did not. God, at, I was I was I was because they couldn't do anything that whole game. Until that final drive, and they just get in the end zone. I was watching my favorite NASCAR driver get wrecked intentionally in the championship race. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, you know. But, but yeah, uh, come out, come out to Twin Peaks, come see us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great food, great specials right now. Happy hour going on till seven. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I might indulge in something. Yeah, we, we might have to. We might have to. Um, if, but if you can't make it to Twin Peaks and you still want to be a part of the show, hit us up on the hotline three three seven seven zero six. 0111, and we will get you in on the action. Speaking of Justin Verlander, at, at least with him returning for another year, at least his wife would support him. <laughs> Coming back for another year. Oh, you went there. I did. Because I, I found that absolutely hilarious, that Kate Upton was just like, yes, I love watching my you? my husband do his thing on, on the field. Whereas with Giselle, it's like, if you go back – we're done. Did you did you see what she what she said when they asked her about his first win in the World Series? What'd she say? <laughs> she said, "I mean, don't get me wrong. He, I'm happy that you know he has that now." Yeah. She said, "But honestly, he's such a legend. Like, who effing cares?" It's <laughs> like I love that. <laughs> see, that's that's what you need in your life, man. That is hashtag wife material. God, that is absolutely I'm fantastic. S- I'm so jealous of JV right now. If you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever, then text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard this Thursday night. Once again, text PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther Wakanda forever brought to you by the game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. We'll take a timeout. And we re- when we return, we'll dive deep into LSU's massive win in Death Valley over Alabama and how they were quite okay writing a check for a quarter of a million dollars this morning. Damn we'll right. do it next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Coming to you live from Twin Peaks on Johnston Street. You know what they say, Twin Peaks eats, drinks, scenic, scenic views. views. 
That's where I also mean, you can get your man 20, card. 20, you can get your man card at Twin. I think that's so funny. I love the, that. The name of the gift card is a man card. That's hilarious. So, anyways, the beer is 28.2 degrees. Can it get colder than that? I because I think I've seen it like 27.8. Because there's going to come a point, right? So, even if it's alcohol. So, alcohol can't freeze, right? Correct. But there has to come a point. Science. Where the other chemicals and ingredients of a beer overtake the alcohol, and the whole thing's just frozen. There has to come a point. Like, the lines of the keg have to get frozen at some You know point, who right? you remind me of right now? Bill Belichick when he was trying to explain oh the footballs God. being oh naturally God. deflated. We're on to Baltimore. <laughs> we're on. <laughs> we're, we're on to Baltimore. Oh, of course we are. Um, but anyways, let's talk about LSU, which, by the way, here at Twin Peaks. They're showing they a are, replay of the game. They are replaying the game in all, of its, in all of its glory. Uh, LSU beat Alabama. That was in, a crushing blow. In Death Valley for the first time since 2010, 32-31. to 31. Look, this was a game that really, you know, really impressed me from the get-go. On the opening drives of the games, James, teams kind of, it, it, it was almost like both defenses played with a bend but don't break mentality. Mm-hmm. Because you, if you look at the drive chart, you know, the first yeah. drive for LSU. It was a punt. It went, it went six, but you went, you got six plays. None of, you didn't have a three and out, um, but what really caught me, what really got to me was the fact I am, we had talked about this all last week before the game to prep. We talked about how if you start off slow against Bama and you give up 14, 17 points in the first quarter, you're going to lose. You're going to absolutely get your face crushed in. And LSU did the exact opposite. And what did they do? They responded by getting a pick in the end zone, punt, punt, punt. They were the first one to score the touchdown. I'm going to say it. Some people might not agree with this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Oh, God, I'm scared. I think that pick in the end zone Uh was the turning point of the game. I I I think that was the tone setter. Well, because I think what I don't think it was. I don't think it swayed the game right away because it was so early in the game. But I think it was turning ten. I I say turning point. I I don't. I don't think that that was the true turning point. It was the tone to set the game. Because what I think that that did for the rest of the game is that made Bryce Young very timid to take risks. Because you saw him, he was trying to scramble as much as he could until he had somebody absolutely wide open. Bryce Young wasn't going to force the issue after that play. The rest of the night. So he also you, he also wasn't able to take it himself all that often either. You That's had the thing. him you had him back on his heels because of that play. And then, you know, like like James said, you were the first one to score a touchdown. You didn't do it until nine minutes left in the second quarter. It was a beautiful play from Daniels to John Emery. Oh yeah. What, I mean wide open. It like you didn't even get to complete the I feel like it would have been a wheel route. But it was just such an easy dump off because no yeah. one was on the right side. So you, you, like, didn't, you didn't have to let it develop. Just get it to your playmaker and take let him, it. I don't let him do. It. I don't um, need it. And you know, Bam was able to put some points on the board. It ended up being uh, seven, seven to three, six or seven to seven six, to six, six at halftime. Half yeah. And then you know, Bama kind of opened the game up a little bit. At one point, it was with four forty-four left in the game. Bama had taken a twenty-one to seventeen lead. LSU answered. 
Bama gets a field goal to tie the game. You end up going to overtime. And in overtime, Alabama got the ball first, which which works out for LSU, right? That's what you want yeah. in college football. You always you want, want your go defense second. first. And, you know, it was one of those plays, the, the, the third down play where they threw it into the back of the end zone and they called a pass interference on LSU. I think that was crap. Um, I, now, didn't, I didn't like it. Was was the con- was the contact there in the end? Absolutely. However, the ball was tipped. The and ball you, was tipped at the line. And you know, you know what rule aggravated me from that game as well? The fumble. The fumble. Yeah. Because I get it though. I get I, it. I get, what, I get what you were doing because the tight end was out of bounds and he did end up touching the ball. But I also look at it because it, it's not like I forget who was on it. But it's not like the LSU defender was, like, juggling it. He had it in his hands. He had it as possession. He just didn't tuck it in yeah. yet. Which, which, I mean, that's what they're, which was, that's what which they're was, looking at. Which was Brian Kelly's argument was, like, so you're telling me him having it in his hands pretty securely is not possession? Which I, I agree with. I mean. But now, you know, I heard, I heard Glenn West say it during Jordy's show earlier that they should have called a legal touching on the on the Alabama tight end, and I agree. You know, you step out of bounds, you cannot come back in and play the football. Correct. Because um, he because he had stepped out, then went to go reach. Correct. For it because yeah, because he, of where the ball was so that, close to the sideline. That should have one hundred percent been an illegal touching call, no play. You know, ten yard penalty, loss of down, whatever it is. I think I think that's the call for illegal touching is, is ten I yards. Think, and a I loss think it's down. a ten yard because you um, only really call a fifteen if it's a and so a pass interference. But but again, you know, you, the defense stood up there, held Bama to a field goal, and uh, but again, going back to overtime, the, you, you had the pass interference call in the end zone, which again I still don't agree with, and then LS, uh, Bama was able to run it in for a touchdown. LSU gets the ball, and you know, Jaden Daniels said. Uh, Watch me do watch, my thing. I was going to say, watch me do my little dance. Watch me watch me do my thing. Here's the call from the LSU Radio Network with Chris Blair. Yeah, I mean, I, look, we're, we're not here unless, you know, our quarterback plays really well. You know, this is whether it's peewee football or, you know, high school football, college football, or the NFL. You play. Daniel's going to keep trying to get to the edge. Gets by one defender. Cuts inside a blocker at the 20. Got another block at the 15. 10-5. Touchdown. Fighting Tigers. Jaden Daniels, 25-yard run. One play and a score. And it's 31-30. The Tigers cut the lead. Don't be surprised if Brian Kelly goes for two here. Don't be surprised. They're going for two. They're going for two, Chris. And LSU keeping the offense out there, looking to go for two and the win. Here in the first session of overtime, Alabama calling the timeout. Now the Tigers back out there. They'll have Jenkins and Neighbors wide to the right. Mason Taylor, the tight end, right of the formation. Williams in the backfield. Alabama can't get the players off the field. They just got him off. They had 12 on the field. Here we go. Snap to Daniels. Sprint out. Throw to the right. Caught. Right corner of the end zone. Mason Taylor. Tigers win. Tigers win. Hey, now. 32-31. And the fans storm. 
See, I didn't mention, like, because I don't know about you, but whenever a really big play happens, I get goosebumps. So yeah. I got I got goosebumps whenever I saw Kyle Tucker get the final out. I got goosebumps whenever Jordan hit the three-run homer. Mm-hmm. I And we were flipping back and forth. I was at my friend's house. We were flipping back and forth between the Astros game and the LSU game. And as the inning was ending for L, for uh, Astros, we didn't catch the Jane Daniels touchdown, but we saw the two-point conversion. We're like, wait a minute. Did he just win? So Did LSU just win on a two-pointer? So and I got goosebumps, goosebumps from that again, and I got it again listening to the calls. So, you know, you, you, watched, you watch LSU score that touchdown, and they're down 31-30. And I remember Saturday night I was watching the game, and I see Jay Daniels trot back out onto the field. Mm-hmm. My first thought was, there's no way. There's no way they're going for two here. See, and this isn't a hindsight thing. I love the call because no matter what, look, I, I think you're in you're never gonna you're not in the wrong at that point either way, whether you go for the PAT or you go for the two. Because if you go for the two, I mean you're confident in your offense because you could just score again. You think your defense can make a stop. You're not wrong there. But then I feel like you're also not wrong because you have the gonads to go for the two, go for the win, because even if you don't get it, at least you can say, I respect you because you went for the win and you went for a statement call. Well, you see, here's the thing. You know, I I didn't necessarily agree with the call because I felt like you could just tie the game and and your defense could have the opportunity to make a stop on the Mm -hmm. other side. However... I do love what Brian Kelly said in the locker room after the win. He, he was talking to his players, and he said, look, I called for two because I wasn't going to let anybody but you decide the outcome of this game. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Because he, said, he said you were either going to win it or you were going to lose it, but it was going to be up to you. And the fact that he has confidence in his first year in players that he didn't recruit. Right. He has faith in – a coaching staff that he hasn't necessarily brought in yet. He hasn't brought in all his guys. He hasn't gotten all the guys that he wants for recruiting. So to show that he has faith in that team shows so much. Absolutely. Because that because that is such a huge confidence boost. Whether you get that or not, the rest of the way, the final three games for the regular season, and then whatever you do, depending on what happens the rest of the way, beyond the regular season, your team is going to have confidence in you, and you're going to still continue to have confidence in your team, and I love that. No That's question. why I love the call so much, because whether you get it or not, you have faith in one another. No and question. when you have faith, it shows trust, and when you have trust, you, you're not going to hold anything back. Nope. So now with the win, LSU 7-2, and two, currently number seven in the AP poll. Uh, they control their own destiny. In the SEC West. They have the lead. Yeah. Now you just can't slip up. Correct. And, and, and it starts on Saturday. You can't lose another game. It starts on Saturday at Arkansas. In Fayetteville. Now, look, I think LSU is the better team than Arkansas. Arkansas has been dealing with a lot of injuries. But here's what's going to benefit Arkansas. LSU plays in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It is hot. It is humid. Never rains. Never rains. <laughs> I remember they were all talking. These, I remember they were talking about it. There, there being weather concerns. All, all these great things. You know what the high temperature is on Saturday in Fayetteville? <sighs> Something tells me is it high thirties, low to mid forties. Forty four. Forty four. 
I was with the number over, in my head was forty three. With an overnight low of twenty one. Oof. Well, it's gonna be cold. <laughs> yeah, but that's to me that's my kind of football. It's gonna be, be cold. I, I love when the weather is mid to high forties. Those th- those hits are gonna have a different pop to them. Oh yeah. You're gonna f- you're gonna feel it later. Also with the kickers, yep. it says it's a little colder, the the football's yep. gonna be a little harder. Yeah, that'll be uh, need an extra need an extra sock to put on be your a, kicking leg. That'll be a true test, no question about it. We'll re- we'll recap Alabama a little bit more, and we'll preview the matchup with Arkansas here in the next segment with Wilson Alexander from the Advocate. We'll take a timeout and do that next here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the Fighting Tigers of LSU and the Houston Astros. Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score, hit high, hammered to left field, going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals, with the advocates, Wilson Alexander, here is Tiger Talk, on Crunch Time, with Miguez and Mesh. Alexander, how are you on this Monday Monday afternoon, sir? Wilson, can you hear me? Hey, there you are, yeah. Yeah, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I mean, how, how could you not be two days removed from LSU taking down Alabama? Absolutely. I mean, Hernandez is standing out there. This is probably, I mean, this is surely as good as you have felt since the 2019 National Championship game. Uh, and it's probably the one of the most exciting games in Tiger Stadium history the second largest upset in Tiger Stadium history. So for any LSU fans out there, yeah, uh, you should feel great right now. So let me, let me ask you this. When Mason Taylor called that two-point conversion, where was Wilson Alexander? Well, Wilson Alexander was in the press box, right in the game story. <laughs> oh, uh, smart man. Trying to type as fast as I possibly could so that there are readers in uh, New Orleans because uh, it was getting in, in, in time for that edition would, would have a story to read. Yeah, got 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 a hit deadline, right? Absolutely, uh, hard on a game like that, but you know that's what we do. Yeah, no doubt about it. So let's let's talk about the game. You know, I said it I said it earlier in the show that you know it was a game where you know LSU really needed to start a little bit faster than than they have in recent weeks, and you know they didn't explode on the scoreboard early in the game, but what they did is they did a good job of keeping Alabama at bay, and they also had a couple of – they didn't always go three and out. It was longer drives, and, and they moved the ball a little bit. Uh, what were your thoughts on the game, especially early? The early portion of the game probably got overlooked in the grand scheme of things just because it's going to end up being remembered for the two-point conversion and the overtime and the back-and-forth nature of the second half. But that was absolutely vital for what else he was end up being able to do getting the interception on Bryce Young in the end zone on Alabama's first drive, and then holding the Crimson Tide to field goals on their next three trips to the red zone. You know, Alabama only had nine points going into the fourth quarter. A lot of that had to do with what they well, he was able to do in the first half. I mean, you know, Alabama was threatening a lot, and LSU was able to keep them from scoring touchdowns, uh, kept the game close, and then uh, was gave the offense time to start clicking a little bit in the second half of time. Now, you know, Looking at the the interception in the end zone by Jarek Bernard Converse right there on that second possession, how important was that play, in your opinion, for the tone of the game? It was incredibly important because Bryce Young had started three for three for 46 yards on that opening drive, and Alabama was really moving easily down the field. 
and it just felt like, oh, boy, here you go. And then all of a sudden, uh, to get a little bit of pressure on him, make him step up, and for Jarek to be right there, uh, the, you know, the ball was behind his intended receiver, and Jarek was in a great position to make a play on it. Uh, it, it really, it, yeah, it certainly set the tone, and it was uh, crucial to keep Alabama out of the end zone there. And from there, Bryce Young kind of struggled. I mean, he was not uh, the quarterback that you're used to seeing. He still had a lot of moments, um, but he wasn't, uh, you know, he only completed 49% of his passes. And so LSU did a really good job of disrupting uh, his rhythm and timing and getting in his, uh, kind of clouding his vision. Now, talking about Jaden Daniels, you know, he was incredibly uh, efficient once again in this game, able to do a lot of things well in the air. But again, you know, the, the storyline with Daniels was the way that he was able to run the ball against this Alabama defense. I mean, 95 yards and, and a touchdown. He also had that crucial 25-yard touchdown run in overtime. You know, just talk about the performance of, of LSU's quarterback and, and now, you know, it's kind of forced himself into the Heisman conversation. Was an absolute. Uh, he's still a little bit of a long shot, but I think his odds, depending on where you look, are like the seventh best in the country for the Heisman Trophy. All of a sudden, where he started off as like plus fifteen thousand or something like that going into the game, um, he didn't. You know, he, he wasn't like a, like putting up just massive numbers like he did against Ole Miss and against Florida, um, but you know. He won the game for them. I mean, everything in this offense goes through Jaden Daniels, and he made some incredible uh, runs when he had to. Uh, he still did, it, and it wasn't like he was going through for 185 yards, or 182 yards, excuse me, because the passing game was inefficient like it was at the beginning of the season. It was because Alabama was doing some good things to take it away, and Jaden was able to run when that ha- that happened uh, and, and lead LSU to some crucial, uh, you know, on some crucial touchdowns. You know, he he is probably the calmest person on that team in a big moment. Nothing rattles him. It's a lot of part of the way he was raised, just naturally how he is. We've seen it all year. But in a game like Alabama, and a tight one at the very end, he never showed any sort of uh, – he never seemed flappable. You know, it felt like Alabama in games past, sometimes maybe that going up 15-14 or something like that, or, or 21-14 would be a knockout blow in previous LSU games. But Daniels continued to lead them on scoring drives to, to win the game. Now, we know another player that really stood out – from, from my perspective, is on the defensive side, and it was Harold Perkins Jr. I mean, just such a special athlete as a true freshman. You know, eight tackles, got a sack on the quarterback as well. Just talk about, you know, what he's meant for this LSU defense. And, you know, it seems that the coaching staff has figured out that whether it's a fit schematically or not, 40 has to be on the field. They have you know, come to understand that. Absolutely. Matt House has done a really good job of playing to what Harold does well, because he's not a perfect linebacker as much as, you know, that might be shocking to hear yet. He's not a perfect like inside linebacker just yet. He's still learning a lot of things about how to fit the run and read certain things that he has to up the middle as an inside backer. That's why else he has them outside. But finally in this game, they got him on the field at the same time as Bizeo Jalari. Those, and those are LSU's two most disruptive players. And Harold was just phenomenal. Constantly, you know, they used him as a spy quite a bit on Bryce Young to prevent him from kind of doing the escapability uh, and making those kind of plays that he's so prone to do. Uh, he, he was phenomenal. He won, you know, SEC Defensive Player of the Week, you know, for that reason. As a true freshman, uh, he got that honor. And um, he's been just great. And, you know, they've mixed him into the defense in a really smart way that it, it sort of highlights what he does well 
and gets after the passer and just makes life really tough on opposing offenses. Chatting with Wilson Alexander from The Advocate. Now, you know, bringing up Harold Perkins, and you talked about him being a spy on Bryce Young. I've heard multiple people say that they feel that that's maybe the best role for Harold Perkins. Do you agree with that? It's, a, it's one of the roles that best suits him because he's able to use his athletic ability and chase guys down. And LSU has faced, especially just, you know, in this day of an age of college football, you're going to face mobile quarterbacks, guys who can make plays with their legs and run. It's not the only way, though, that you want to use them because then offenses will scheme around it and find some way to do that. Um, but he is certainly uh, very capable at that because he's able to chase after the quarterback and get them on the ground so fast. His change of direction ability is, is incredible, um, and that's what makes him so good at that. You saw a play you know, on the back against Bryce Young when Alabama was down at the goal line early. Um, Bryce kind of shimmied away from him, but Harold was able to put his foot in the ground and accelerate really fast and bring him down. Now, you know, going going forward, you're seven and two. You're in the lead in the SEC West. You're in the driver's seat in terms of controlling your own destiny. How does Brian Kelly and his coaching staff do a nice job of, you know, reeling the guys back in? Look, obviously, you know, Alabama might be one of the biggest games on the schedule, and we got a big win there. But there, there's still a lot of work left to do if if you want to be in the postseason in December. There is. It's and it kind of goes back. The way they're going to approach it and the way that Kelly wants to build this program sort of shows up in really every game, but you can really look at it, too, in kind of these what might be perceived as trap games coming up against Arkansas and against Texas A&M because of where Texas A&M is at right now. They want a program that's going to be consistent, and that gets built starting in January. They believe that the things that they do then, uh, similar, you know, this isn't groundbreaking stuff necessarily, but um, that's a consistency that he wanted to start building back in January through off-season training and mental conditioning and, uh, you know, all of the little habits and little nuances that Kelly wants from his team will show up in these kinds of games. You know, they didn't change anything significantly in terms of how they prepared or approached the Alabama game. It was very similar uh, by all accounts to what they did uh, every other week. And that's what he wants again this week. It's like we're not going to change the way we operate um, because they were trying to build something that is going to be consistent and sustainable and that's the same kind of you know thing that you're going to see this week and then over the rest of the season. Um, in terms of how they prepare, it's not going to change much. And um, that, you know, he thinks that means that they won't fall into any kind of trap game because the only reason that they're considered trap games, he thinks, is if you haven't prepared your football team properly. Lastly, Wilson, you know this game with with Arkansas this weekend. I know, I know you probably haven't gotten the opportunity to do a, a huge dive into the Razorbacks, but just you know on the surface, what do they do well that could cause issues for the Tigers? Yeah, like you said, I haven't had a, a great chance to dive into Arkansas just yet, but they run the football really well. Um, that's actually something that LSU probably matches up well with uh, is a team that does that. Um, they because they, you know they'll be able to they won't have to be so spread out and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Arkansas is second in the SEC in rushing yards per game with 233. KJ Jefferson is a big physical quarterback who's um, you know really uh, well rounded as well. Going to be hard to bring on the ground. LSU faced that a couple times this season. And then of course you know Raheem Sanders, their running back, leads the SEC in rushing yards per game with well uh, you know over 100. And so uh, that's going to be the kind of the main test with Arkansas is, is stopping that running game. Uh, defensively, uh, they're pretty leaky. They've allowed 37 touchdowns this year. That's 108th in the country. Um, so you might think that LSU, um, you know, might uh, should be able to score. Um, so, you know, that's kind of generally what they're dealing with, with the Razorbacks. They're favored for a reason in this game. 
Uh, LSU is the better team, um, but it's got to go out and execute. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. Wilson, appreciate you taking the time each and every week. And uh, next Monday, hopefully we can talk about a, another big win over the Razorbacks. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks for having me. You love sports. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Is our number two of Crunch Time here on the game coming to you live from Twin Peaks, 5801 Johnston Street here in Lafayette. We are here for Monday Night Football. Come hang out with us. Between the New Orleans Saints and the Baltimore Ravens. Would you stop interrupting me? I'm sorry. It's just a habit. <laughs> I can't lie. They're playing an absolute banger right now. It is. I love I love me some Philip Phillips. True. We're going to have to go back. We're going to have to have a segment one day where we look at the best people that have the same name. Like that reminds Phillip me. Phillips. That reminds me. I I, I I used to I read a book one time about a middle schooler. I forgot the whole premise of it, but it was him in middle school. You want to know what his name was? Wallace Wallace. Love that. <laughs> Love that. There's got to be like a Jeffrey Jefferson that did just something outstanding. Do we count? Do we count John Johnson? Yeah. Okay. I think you have to. Well, I think we count that. I think you have to. Like Jeff Jefferson or there's got to be something. We're going to have to look Jeff, at the Jeff Jefferson. Right. We're going to have to look at the history of that. that, that <laughs> there's got to be something there. Did you but, know that there's a website where you can just look up names to see approximately how many people have that name in the U.S.? Oh, no. Don't tell me that. I looked at. <laughs> that will absorb all of my time. <laughs> I remember looking up my name and like my friend's names. How many James Meshes were there? Oh, it's quite. There's quite a few. Uh, I bet you there's not I think that there's many a, Matthew Miguez. I think there's a couple hundred. I'll look it up. But, oh, man. But I'll, I'll do that while you go ahead and just oh. rant about those cages as they absolutely faltered late in the game on oh, Saturday those, against Troy, 23-17. Those, those Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Look, man. I was going to say, get it out. Get it off your shoulder. You can't blow a three-score lead. You really can't, especially when you lead throughout the entirety of the game. You are playing the conference leader at home. And you go up 17 to nothing with 8.36 left in the third. And not only can you not score another point, but you gave up 23. Like, you, you look at it, okay, the, the first touchdown of the game was, wasn't until the second quarter. You had a scoreless first quarter. And that was in large part to the Cajuns missing two field goals. Two of them. One was from 37 yards. And one, James, are you ready for this? Second one was from 25 yards away. And I don't have a strong leg. Uh, if you see my legs, they're, they're twigs. They're practically he's, marathon he's got, runner legs. He's got noodle legs. Like, I can't kick very far. But my max, we had talked about it earlier, I can, I can make a 30-yarder. I mean, I would hope so. I can make a 30-yarder. I would hope so. That's, my, that's practically my max, though. But you missing 25-yarders, I don't care if you're not a professional. That's ridiculous. You're playing D1 college football. Make a 25-yard field goal. Didn't you, didn't you text us in the group chat? 
talking about how Louisiana was doing uh, tryouts for kicker. Yeah. And you, well, I mean, you, that was that was a joke. But it but it was still. But yeah. So what made it even worse? And look, I'm not gonna sit here and, and harp on a kicker. I have never been a kicker. I don't know how easy and or hard it is, and whatnot. It's a really difficult art to cra- to master that kind of craft. But still, the fact that that's literally your only job. And not only I can, that, I can understand you missing one from deep or missing one every once in a while. But the fact that you missed multiple in one of them was chip shot range. And, but not only that, James, I'm talking. That's pretty bad. I'm talking moments later. They did a promotion where they pulled a student from the student section, kick a 25-yard field goal. If you make it, you get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Ooh. Damn, I should have gone to that game. Dude, when I tell you this kid drilled it, and I'm not talking like, oh, he, he, he made it down the middle. Not only did he make it, like, the leg. It went, he, it went it had been over. It had been good from 35. Oh, okay. So he had. He, he okay. nailed it. The way the way I thought you made it sound, he would have made it from fifty. That's how hard he booted that well, thing. I mean, he he very well could have. I mean, it was there was a lot of leg on that kick, for for somebody who doesn't kick in college, like isn't a, a college kicker. I feel like you need to go look at the intramural soccer players at UL and see what they got. Right. I, I think I feel like that's always an open but you option. See, look. Here's my thing, and and I and, that, I have, and that's and that's whether the, you have Kenny Almaderas healthy or you have another kicker that you believe in. I feel like just see, seeing one of your football players, like maybe even getting one of your uh, unpaid interns, like how I was for the scout department, like have them go one night and be like, hey, I mean, would you mind like, hey, go and check out the 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 soccer for intramurals, seeing what the boys soccer see, can do. Here's what bothers me: you have three kickers on the roster. Yeah. Are they all three that bad? Well, the fact like, that you believed is, is in your, Kenny Almendares to begin the season, and then he he lost the job, and then he won it back because the other kicker wasn't very good. Well, Coach Desermo said it today. The kicking position all season long has been a week-by-week basis. They and that's chart very them, worrisome. They chart them through in practice throughout the entire week, and each week could be a different kicker. Kenny has just won it most consistently week in and week out. But again, but that but that I asked the question Saturday in the press box. Are the other two kickers that bad to where you can't trust to put them in? Because if so, that's an issue. I wonder I wonder if they're one of those players where like Kenny is where it's like it's not it's not in game action, so it's a practice, so there's less stress on well, the line. And that and that's possible. Because People could be really good at, at practice, but then when it comes to game day, if they're they just they become a shell of themselves, the, or or they're really bad in practice, and they just absolutely show out on game day. And here's the other issue. Here, here's the, now don't get me wrong. There's a lot of issues that, that stick out to me from this game. You lost the turnover battle. You you know you left. I'm going to say you left 10 points off the board because that 25-yard field goal, you got stopped at the 10. If you had possession inside that deep inside the red zone, that ball should have been in the end zone. So I'm going to say that you left 10 points off the board in that game. 
Especially, especially since you had a really solid first half as well. Help me out. Help me out. Okay. I, I struggle to read sometimes. Okay. That fourth quarter column. Yeah. What's the score differential right there? 16 to 0. Thank you. You gave up 16 points in the fourth quarter. You also got outgained. What was it? Oh, 230 you're, you're, to 14? 201 to 14 in the fourth quarter. 201 yards for Troy to only 14 for Louisiana. Now, let, let's, let's see this. How many plays did you run in the fourth quarter, right? You know, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Well, Matt, you know, maybe, maybe Troy dominated the time of possession in the fourth quarter and, you know, you didn't get to run a whole lot of plays. You ran 15 plays in the fourth quarter. You didn't even get a yard per snap. Think about that. You know, uh, in an, another alarming me that stood out from that game, Ben Woolrich, he's been up and down, but I know he had the two rushing touchdowns, but by God. He played the second half hurt. When so, he, you could, so you couldn't have done like a short passing game to get it out of his – I mean, you probably could have. You probably could have. You, you could have helped him. Because the man that, went 13 that, for 29 for 129 yards. On that yards. second touchdown pass, he dove into the end zone, and he landed awkwardly on his shoulder, and he was down for a while. But if it was affecting him that much. Well, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree. Could, um, could you not have made it easier for him? Or if it's that bad, could you have gone to Chandler? Could you have gone to Chandler? Yeah, because there, because your reports say that he is fully healthy now. Well, which, reports, which is which is BS because I mean, until the season's over, reports, you're not fully healthy. Reports also say that Ben is fine, so we'll see what happens Thursday night. But uh, again, and and you know, I, I I get the the point from the coaching staff. Well, you know, we we ran the ball well because you did. You got 203 yards on the ground Saturday night. You were the second team this season to get 200 or more rushing yards on Troy. The first one was Ole Miss. Yeah. You ran the ball well. You did. You got 4.6 yards of carry. You know, Chris Smith had what was two yards shy of 100 yards. Terrence Williams had a nice game as well at 51 yards. You even saw Zylan Perry for a little bit. He got four carries for 20 yards. Yeah. The the true freshman who's supposed to be the future of the running back room. But Ooh, Zion Chris with, with Zylan Perry. Yeah, that that's supposed to be the duo. We'll, we'll see. We're going ZZs. But the 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 14 yards in, in the fourth quarter just sticks out like a sore thumb. You ran the ball 10 times in the fourth quarter for 14 yards. Mm-hmm. To me, and look, again, like, like I said earlier about, you know, a kicker. I'm not a doctor. I mean, I'm not a coach. I'm not a doctor either. But I'm not a coach. I was going to say, we've, we've had this discussion before. I, I, I don't claim to be one. I, I, you know, there's a lot of you, intricate little details about football that I don't know. You play, you played soccer as a kid, so you have an idea of how to kick the ball, but you never played kicker as a kid. You played no. offensive line. From a coaching standpoint, though, in the fourth quarter, you carry the ball ten times and you're only getting a yard a carry. After about the fifth or sixth carry, I'd have said, mm, we might need to change something. And you know something that I, I notice when I go to Cajuns games or I'm able to watch it? I don't see very many screens. None. They don't run screens. Which, which aggravates me because 
Yes, can can screens be oh, absolutely got the sniffed out? Can it be absolutely sniffed out and you throw the pass and you lose five yards? Of course. But whenever you have them pinning their ears back on a pass rush and you get them, make them think that they beat the O-line, and then you dump it off to the running back with so much space. What you saw with Kamara against Seattle, that that can work so often. Like, and it, and it, would, it would work even more because you would catch them off guard because they watch your film. No doubt. You running a screen, they're going to be like, when the hell do they ever run a screen? No we don't doubt. have to worry about that. We don't have to game plan for that. So you toss it in like two or three of them one game when they least expect it. No, that, w- that could be the difference, and that could lead to a score or two. And then, you know, here, here's here's another statistic. That's take, and this is off the field. But, uh, James, how many people went to this game? Almost 8,000. You want to know a statistic? You're now, a big statistic guy. I am a big statistic you guy. You love statistics. I because, do, too. Because they drive home a point. You can also manipulate it to to make your point, but go ahead. This was the lowest attended Cajuns home game since 1999, and this was also and that was also Senior Night. This was this was the last Saturday home game of the season. Now I get it. LSU played Alabama. That's fine. You know, a, a lot of people, over 100,000 people, were at that game. Not to mention Astros were playing that night. Astros were playing that night. That's a valid point as well. Here is my issue. There's half a million people in the Lafayette metropolitan area. In a 30-mile radius of Lafayette, Louisiana, there's 500,000 people. How on God's green earth? One and a half percent of the population were at the game. How on God's green earth is there not at least 10,000? 10, at least because the standard or the average attendance. The cage is average about 15. Yeah, because I was thinking it's about 13,000. Yeah, thir- 13 to 15 is So the is, fact is that the you had half of that, granted, you did have LSU, a big night against Alabama. You did have Astros World Series Game 6. But, man, it's senior night. And look. And, look, and it underperformed this much. You think the crowd – I'm just, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. You think that the crowd was bad Saturday night? Wait until Thursday. I was going to say, Thursday is going to be a doozy. Right now, and again. How much much was filled with the student section? That's what I want to know. Hardly any. Really? Students didn't show up. Students did not show up. And to me, that's the biggest shocker because I I could understand Cajuns fans, when you're adults and you're alumni, or you're just, you're just regular fans, you going, I can understand. There but may the have been 500 that, students. But the fact that you had so few students in the student section. There may have been 500 students. That, to me, that's where you drive it. The, the because th- those are your people. Those who those are the people that you go to class with. Yeah. And you're not there. I, I, I agree. I I, I agree that you know students obviously should have shown up more. I, I think the bigger concern, though, is the fact that you only had 7,000 people pay to come to this game. But the huge, yes, but the fact that so few of them were yep. students, yep. that's oh, what huge. concerns me even more is because that that's, that's your driving home factors. You went to this college – 
whether you went for the academics or you just you enjoy the program, the sports programs. No. I feel like if you like it any sort of bit, if you love the Cajuns or you enjoy them that much, and you you go to that college, that university, I feel like the attendance should be a lot higher, especially when it comes to a senior night. Hundred percent. They even made it a week earlier. Now, granted, I haven't been to college in a couple of years, so I don't remember the exact schedule when it comes to where's midterms and everything. But I feel like midterms would be midterms would have already passed. Exactly. So you're mid- you're approaching finals at this point. Yeah. So the fact that it's even a week earlier, I feel like that would even that would give yeah. you even more of a reason because you're not. It's one week farther away from having to deal with finals. Yeah, you're you're two weeks away from finals at this point. So I mean, there's there's still there, there's no excuse. There, there's none. I, I, there, there's absolutely zero excuse as to why there wasn't at least 10,000 people in the stands on Saturday. Now, look, I understand LSU Alabama is always going to hinder your attendance. Always. Don't ever tell me that it won't because it always will. It will. And then whenever you see – because this state loves baseball. They love football, but they ri- just as high is baseball. So the fact that the next closest – National MLB team is the Houston Astros. A vast majority see, of people are Houston Astros fans. So the fact that you, this is a game but, ceiling potential but see, game, but but the Astros, the Astros shouldn't have factored into it. And let me tell you why. Because the game didn't start well, till practically the Cages game ended. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. I went, I worked the game, went to the post game press conference where we heard from Coach Dez and three players. And shot a post-game video recap. And by the time I got to Legends to watch the game, yeah, it was only the fifth inning. Like I caught most of the game. And I was going to say, and that's you doing other right. media duties. I, the, the stadium was empty when I left. You would have missed the first, and, maybe the second inning. And I still caught, I still caught the most important pieces of the game. Correct. Like because the that, Astros didn't factor into that. They didn't do anything. We didn't, we didn't see anything big. Until the sixth inning, so uh, very, very disheartening to, uh, to to see the crowd in attendance Saturday night. But I digress on that. Uh, the next game will be Thursday at 6:30 from Cajun Field as they take on the Eagles of Georgia Southern, who currently are third in the country in passing yards per game. Nice little tidbit there for you. If you are looking for great stocking stuffers this holiday season, look no further than the Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. The only way to score these great stocking stuffers, however, is by joining the clubhouse. It's 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today quickly before we take a timeout. Mike is on the hotline. Mike, what's up? Hey, you guys have an interesting topic about the student attendance. Uh, yes, you can lament that did occur, but my question is why did it occur? What can be done to uh, improve it in the, in the future? Uh, I know your former podcast members have talked about uh, their, they weren't allowed to sit in certain seats, and they were, and they've been over-policed, uh, maybe for using bad language. I think those are all a factor. I think the uh, new RCF director apparently has more responsibility. Just RCF will have revenue uh, uh, responsibilities, and, you know, students do affect that. 
with the uh, uh, concessions and all. So uh, that's my question because you go, what can be done in the future to stop it? Uh, why, why is it why can be in the future? I just think it needs to be a, a repair of the relationship can happen in the off season, and maybe it'll improve uh, next season. Also, reminder tonight: basketball opens for the Cajuns. I'm on my way to the Cajuns home right now. No, it's not a prime opponent, but I'm more interested in our team and what they're going to be able to do. And um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, so y'all can respond to my comments. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Covering the uh, covering the men's game tonight, but no, you know, look, obviously that there there is a a disconnect between the administration and, and the student body, and, and there's ways to fix that. Um, I've I've heard multiple students say that they don't know when games are, so maybe the university's not doing a good enough job of, you know, putting word out around campus. Hey, there's a game this weekend. There's a home game this weekend because you can put it on social media, but. If you're not following them on social media, you're not going to see it. Exactly. So I think what you can do is you can billboard it better. I mean, there's there's multiple billboards nearby in and around the campus. Absolutely. But you should be able to billboard that. And and even then, having the little yards fin signs. Here's here's the biggest. I feel like that would be interesting that you could put in the courtyard. Here's the biggest thing to me. And people – People always argue me when I say this, but it's the truth. You can advertise about an event all you want, but at the only, the only, at the end of the day, if a student doesn't want to go, they're not going to go. You got to give them a reason. To be like, wow, I think Look, I really got to go. This is a what-can-you-give-me society, especially the younger generation. Correct. The game is no longer enough. The The fact that you are the Louisiana Raging Cajuns isn't enough. For you and I, who love football, I, would I, could go. Go, I could go sit at a game for four hours, nobody give me anything for free, and I would be perfectly content. I would be fine with it, but the, the people that are even younger than me, they – you got to give them a reason to they go. They need more. It, it doesn't matter that you're just Louisiana. And, and I, I hate that you have to do that, but you have to give them a reason to go, whether it's a free shirt or, you know, a, a, a food special or, you know, give them a music act at the tailgate or something. And I know the university does the music under the oaks, but I'm talking about and, at the student tailgate. And here's another thing that you could do. Your social media teams could also go to the people that are tailgating. You can go to the student sections of tailgate and kind of get them and interact with them yeah. and kind of show, like, hey, we're friendly. And then also kind of get with them and be like, hey, y'all look like y'all having a good time. Can we get a video or a picture of y'all, like, having fun here before the game, post on the social media and give y'all and, like, kind of even mention y'all? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things they can do, but, again, the the relationships disconnected. They got to figure out a way to, to to patch that up in order for for things to to get better. We'll take a time out and we'll talk more New Orleans Saints and we'll have Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone Podcast joining us at five thirty. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Crunch time, twenty eight after the hour. Here on this magnificent Monday, 
The Tigers win. The Astros win. That means you win. The question is now, do the, do the Saints, Saints win? win? Golly, I, I really hope they do. It's going to be a tough matchup. I know that the Ravens, they got quite a few injuries themselves. The Saints aren't the only one that are hurting right now because you traded for them. There will be no Mark Andrews tonight. Oh, God, don't remind me, my fan. And to make it worse, there's no Mark Andrews, and I'm going against Lamar. Oh, and it's funny because I actually traded for Lamar in the Crunch Time League. That was that to me. That was a power move. Yeah, it I, was. Lo I lost Jay Herbo. I lost my twin. I did also lose AJ Dillon. So right now, but I got Lamar. I have Chris Olave. Yep, and Justin Tucker. Nice tonight. What do you need to win? I'm winning right now. Oh, this I'm oh this by, isn't ours. I'm up by 18. See, but he's got Lamar. That is worrisome. So I need Olave to have a night. And I, I mean. think I think he could. I think he could, but oh, in the, in the crunch time league, dude, I'm done. Would you? Uh, there's no. I'm done. I've would, got Devin Duvernay. Devin while he's got Chris Olave. I mean, I would need Devin, du, Devin Duvernay to score forty. Did, did, are you? Would you? Are you so confident in Chris Olave having a good night that you would bet on him? I am. Would you? I am. Um, I mean, I would obviously have to look at the numbers before I decided on what I wanted to bet on. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously one of the popular bets is his over-under on passing yards. And receiving yards and right. rushing yards. I would, I would just have to see, you know, what the what the number is before I'd be like, okay, yeah, you know, I'll take. But what I would do is I would bet on a lot of score touchdown. And you know where you can bet that? On tell, FanDuel Sportsbook. You can bet anytime for the tonight's game on FanDuel Sportsbook. Because one of the things I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new players or game props I like. And what's cool about FanDuel is that you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. Perfect for tonight's Monday Night Football game. I'll take the over on total points scored, the over on Chris Olave's receiving yards, as well as over on Lamar Jackson's rushing yards. Same game parlor is just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. It's easy to register, easy to deposit, easy to find your bet. And you know what's also bet fun, easy to do? What's that? It's easy to place your bet fast during a game if you see a trend that you like. Is it? Yes. There's no feeling like nailing a same-game barlay bet, so lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers get up to $150 in free bets, win or lose. You can do that with promo code KLWB. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is nominal drawable with free bets that expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. We'll take a timeout. Dawson Iserloh joins us next here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. James Mesh is absolutely impeccable. Welcome back to Crunch Time, coming to you live from Twin Peaks on Johnston Street. It's time to talk New Orleans Saints with our guy Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone podcast. Dawson, what's up, bud? How are you? 
Hey, doing well, Matt. Always great to come on. Excited for tonight, a chance for the Saints to maybe make a statement and get back in this thing. Yeah, no no doubt about it. You know, question number one I've got for you is the, the Saints made a couple interesting moves earlier today. They uh, elevated Jordan Howard from the practice squad. They signed Kevin White to the 53-man. And now they've activated P.J. Williams off of IR. You know, what do you think the moves do for, for a injury-ridden Saints team? Well, you know, I'll start with Jordan Howard because that's the one that I think maybe has the most impact on tonight. I think with Ingram out, of course, Mark Ingram is not going to play tonight. I think Jordan Howard could see some legit action in this game. Um, and I think behind Kamara, that's certainly an important role. I think the Saints um, probably weren't super comfortable with Dwayne Washington having any sort of significant impact. So they go out and they get a guy like Jordan Howard. So you might see him, you know, I don't know, touch the ball anywhere from five to eight times tonight. As for Kevin White, I mean, look, he's a great story, and I think it's great. He's kind of bounced off and on the roster, but I think that's more of a depth move. But P.J. Williams getting back could, you know, kind of bolster this secondary. We talked about early in the season so many injuries and Lattimore still out. So as many guys as you can have that are familiar with the defense back there, I think is, is as good a thing as you can have. Now, let, let's give Lamar Jackson his credit. He's definitely improved as a passer year every year since he's gotten into the league, but he's still an absolute weapon with his legs. Do you think the defense of the Saints can at least slow him down a little bit and give themselves a chance? Well, that's where I think this game is going to be won or lost, kind of. You know, I went back and kind of looked at, at some of the premier rushing quarterbacks that we have in this league, the guys who I think, you know, and some of them are good as passers as well, but really add a different dimension. The Saints have struggled since 2021, 0-3 against the three guys I picked out were Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, and Kyler Murray. The Saints lost all three of those games and allowed more than 30 points each time. So, you know, you're going to have to do some things. And when you defend Lamar Jackson, it is a little bit different than most of the guys that you're preparing for in the league. I kind of like to compare it to when a college team has to defend the triple option all of a sudden. You know, it's, it's something that you're not regularly practicing, but it's something that you're going to have to be ready for, you know. So I think tonight, look, the Saints have the guys to do it. And I think at times... You know, we've seen this defense look really good. Of course, last week against the Raiders is a prime example. But you have to be really disciplined to, to defend a guy as dynamic as Jackson because, you know, just because the first read isn't there doesn't mean he's not going to make something happen himself. Now, you know, we're talking about injuries and we're talking about, you know, the, the things that, you know, the Saints are going to have to do in order to, to, beat, the, to beat this Ravens team. Uh, one pregame note that, that's popping up on social media, Jarvis Landry is not with the receivers during pregame warm-ups, and uh, final inactives come out in about five minutes or so. Uh, is, is this a sign that maybe Jarvis doesn't suit up tonight for the Saints? Well, I don't know. I've actually seen some conflicting reports on Jarvis in, even in the last 15 minutes, so that's going to kind of be, I guess, a game-time decision. I don't know if him not being out there now necessarily fully warrants that, but either way, I think this receiving core has gotten to a point where they can operate without Jarvis, and I think that's something that's different than years past. You know, one note that I kind of had going into this week that I was interested to see is that, of course, the Michael Thomas news came out that he's going on IR and is potentially going to miss the rest of the season, as Dennis Allen stated. Um, and so that's certainly not good for your long-term outlook, but maybe it gives other guys a chance to feel more comfortable in their own roles. You know, a guy like Rashid Shahid, a guy coming off, you know, Kevin White being signed to the 53-man roster. Uh, Marquez Callaway is another guy who's kind of, you know, had a changing role throughout the year. 
with Thomas not coming back, you know, maybe those guys feel a little bit more comfortable and are able to make some more plays. I think if you're able to get Jarvis back, that's only a plus. Um, not only the his talent as a receiver, but kind of his veteran leadership for you. But, you know, overall, this offense has started to play better, and they're gelling right now, and it feels like the receiving core is, is starting to have some more confidence. So, you know, tonight could be another step forward. You, you're playing a vulnerable secondary in the Ravens, so there might be some opportunities. Now, looking at it, Alvin Kamara, he's been spectacular, especially